Chapter 30 of the Apostle of Alaska, the story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. Troubles Brewing while Bishop Hills of Columbia, in 1879, was in England, his diocese was divided into three. Out of it was carved, among others, the Missionary Diocese of Caledonia, which consisted of the mission fields in the northern portion of British Columbia, in which there were then, all told, three clergymen and one lay preacher, Mr. Duncan. In return for the doubtful privilege of nominating the incumbent, the Church Missionary Society undertook to pay the salary of the bishop of this new diocese. The Reverend William Ridley, who had been a missionary in India for a couple of years, but had returned on account of failing health, and obtained a living in England, was consecrated bishop of this diocese on July 25, 1879, designated Metlakatla as the Episcopal seat of his see, and arrived in the little Indian village on the first day of November, 1879. That day was a black-letter day for the village and for the mission, which had so successfully been carried on within its gates. At first, the bishop was all smiles and pleasantry. He had nothing but kind words for the place, the work, the Christian Indians, and their wonderful teacher. In his first speech to the Indians, he assured them that he had not come to interfere with Mr. Duncan, but would willingly work with him. This, of course, was just as it ought to be, considering the wonderful monument to Christianity and civilization this lone man had there reared. But it was not long before the true nature of the hierarch asserted itself. Knowing Mr. Duncan's antipathy to all sorts of clerical show and vestments, he made it, nevertheless, a point to appear arrayed in his full Episcopal regalia when in church on Sundays, where he had nothing to do but to sit in a pew, like any other attendant, as he could neither preach nor pray, so that the natives could appreciate his efforts. His claim to the title and address of My Lord was, of course, just as offensive to the simple and lowly layman. Then he commenced to mildly suggest some improvement in the service, a little more of the ritual, and he had not been there many months before Mr. Duncan received very broad hints that it was essentially wrong to deprive these poor Christians of the great advantages of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. As he had argued to the society, so he now told the bishop the reasons why he had hitherto, with the full approval of the leading members of his church, abstained from admitting them to the sacrament whether we agree with him or not in his reasons it must certainly be admitted that he knew the indians better than both the society and the bishop possibly could and that for this reason if for no other his opposition to such an important innovation in their worship could not in all fairness be easily brushed aside his reasons were as follows one not so long ago these indians had at least assumed the appearance of cannibals they had been taught this practice to be a most atrocious and heinous sin. Now, when told they were to partake of the body and blood of the blessed Savior, how could they, with their limited reasoning capacity, be expected to distinguish between the two acts? Would it not, at least, be liable to bring back to their minds the terrible custom, and give the scoffers among them an opportunity to taunt them with their inconsistency? 2 then there was always the danger that they in their ignorance might come to look upon the sacrament as a charm 
which would take away their sins and be a passport to heaven their former training and ideas would easily foster such a belief three again there was this inconsistency which would strongly appeal to them and to them seem inexplicable the queen's law forbade any man to give an indian any wine and punished him for doing so now the church would give it to him and it was not wrong four with the inordinate appetite of all the indian for all intoxicating liquors there was special danger in offering him wine in the sacrament they might seek frequent admission to the sacrament for the very opportunity which it afforded them to a limited extent to cater to this appetite the unconverted heathen would certainly look upon it as a covert indulgence in what the law forbade five the law treated the indians as children it forbid them drinking liquors and punished them for doing so it was never the contemplation of the christian church that any one who had not attained further than the estate of children should partake of this sacrament hence they were not as a matter of analogy yet sufficiently mature to receive it the bishop was also in favor of a more liberal administration of the ordinance of baptism mr duncan had very decided views on this subject also in fact all his views were decided that was the make-up of the man it was one of the secrets of his success he had always insisted that no adult should be baptized until after a long probation and that no children should be baptized at all unless they first had christian parents secondly that the parents in asking for their baptism acted upon religious grounds and thirdly that they were reasonably competent to discharge their religious duties towards them there was in his opinion always the danger that the half-savage mind would harbor an idea that the holy ordinance and that alone was equivalent to an insurance policy of salvation others had not been so conscientious in their dealings with the indians some years before mr duncan had called before him a half-breed chief alfred dudeward from fort simpson he had just been initiated into the mysteries of the cannibal club and mr duncan notified him that if he ever repeated this heathenish tomfoolery he would send him to jail as it was a crime under the law to expose one's person in a state of nudity on the beach this scared him so that he a short time after went to victoria judge of mr duncan's surprise when he some time later read in a pamphlet published by a revivalist named hammond that this same half-breed had converted five hundred bloodthirsty savages and that he had come down to victoria for a methodist preacher to come up and baptize them this was really done by a preacher named pollard who came up and baptized these indians men women and children without first teaching them the word and without knowing anything about these people who were really still savages and to whom he thus lightly affixed the label of christianity the state of the christian understanding of these people is characterized by the fact that some of them right after their baptism affixed a sign to the door of their houses reading i am a methodist bishop ridley would have done well in adopting mr duncan's caution in regard to the administration of this sacrament if he had he would not have had the following experience most ludicrous if it was not so closely bordering on the sacrilegious one of the chief medicine men on the nass river was very sick in fact near death 
bishop ridley heard of it went to him and asked him if he did not desire to be saved the word he used was one which in their language is equivalent to our healed made well again of course he did yes certainly then he must give up his rattle well he thought he would be willing to do a small thing like that if he could only get well so he gave up his rattle to the bishop who carried it off as a trophy after having baptized the old heathen but the old medicine man did not get well in fact he actually got worse he called in his wise men they told him that he had made a mistake in giving up his rattle that was his power he grew worse and worse finally he made up his mind to get the rattle back again at whatever cost he found out that the bishop had sent to the creek for water to baptize him with so he sent for a bowl of water from the creek himself and placed it by his bedside then he summoned the bishop when the bishop arrived he told him that he had fooled him his lordship tried to argue with him but he would not listen he only wanted his rattle back the bishop would not give it up but when the old indian made use of threatening language it scared him and he finally said that though he would not give it back to him he might compromise by agreeing to give it back to the man's wife when he had sent for it and the old medicine man would not let him go till he had done this he handed the rattle to the man's wife as he now was about to depart the old indian grabbed the bowl of water threw it at the bishop and said take your water back too i don't want it after that he got better there was no danger that anything like that would ever have happened to mr duncan but he was not a bishop only a common layman missionary so of course the wisdom god had given him and his long experience among these people counted for nothing against the notions of a high priest of the church the bishop could however easily perceive that against a man of his firmness he could not have his way so he concluded to bide his time and undermine him with the society if he could mr duncan in a short time had an opportunity to find out the lay of the land the bishop came into his room one day in a great stew he had heard that the methodists were going to start a mission at hazelton away up on the skeena river the church must come in on the ground first and stop them so he immediately dispatched a young schoolmaster from metlakahtla to the place with a blackboard in order to start a school for the natives and hold the fort until a priest could arrive the next move was to write mr tomlinson and order him to give up his mission where he had inaugurated a blessed work and go post haste to relieve the young man with the blackboard mr tomlinson did not believe in this kind of practice any more than mr duncan did so he refused to comply with the order of the bishop went home to england as fast as steam could carry him laid the matter before the society was sustained in his position and returned with an order from headquarters reversing the bishop's disposition of him the next move on the bishop's part was to take mr hall from the work he had started at mr duncan's suggestion itinerating around fort rupert and to place him at alert bay where nothing could be accomplished because of the contaminating presence of the whites mr duncan wrote to the society about this change in the work and the bishop was again overruled but disregarding the society's orders he continued the erection of mission buildings at alert bay and retained mr hall at that place where experience even to this day has shown that no satisfactory results could be obtained footnote when i in the summer of nineteen o eight came down the inside passage in company with mr hall 
what was my surprise to find upon our arrival at alert bay where the steamer put in in order to land the priest that an old-time potlatch with painted faces indians singing and dancing was in full swing End footnote. these experiences undoubtedly opened the eyes of the society to the fact that the appointment of bishop ridley was not such an unmitigated success after all and perhaps was the direct cause of a new order promulgated at the beginning of the year eighteen eighty one to the effect that the missionaries clergymen and laymen should meet annually at metlakatla under the presidium of the bishop for a conference which should determine as to the work at the different mission stations of the diocese this conference met for the first time in july eighteen eighty one the bishop for some reason best known to himself absented himself from these meetings and was skulking in his tent until the conference had adjourned when he somehow managed to do some work which i prefer not to characterize but which should tell thereafter it cannot sufficiently be regretted that the society should have made such a mistake in the man appointed to this missionary diocese had a man been selected of the splendid and upright character and with the loving and christian disposition exhibited by his successor in the diocese the right reverend f duvernay there is no question that the glorious work at old metlakatla never would have been interfered with and that god's church would not have been scandalized as it was in the years to follow the membership of this first conference of the workers of the northwest coast mission was made up of the clergymen tomlinson collison and hall mr duncan lay missionary and messrs shute and chantrell schoolmasters the conference desired to have mr duncan preside over its deliberations but as he peremptorily declined giving as a reason that he desired to absent himself when they discussed and voted upon the disposition of the metlakatla mission mr tomlinson was elected temporary chairman in the absence of the bishop and mr collison secretary after all the business relating to the various other stations had been disposed of the future of metlakatla was taken up mr duncan reminded the conference that he was a layman and of the society's wish to have an ordained man in his place and asked the conference whether it would not in view of these facts advise him to resign his connection with metlakatla he then left the room to allow the conference to fully discuss the matter without being hampered by his presence but was soon recalled when the following resolution which had been adopted by the unanimous vote of all members of the conference including the rev mr collison who at the time was stationed at metlakatla as a clergyman and who sustained very close relations to the bishop was read to him the conference having heard mr duncan's statement and knowing the value of his labors and experience not only in the work at metlakatla but also to the church missionary society's missions generally in the north pacific field unanimously decline to advise mr duncan to resign the question of his resignation having been disposed of in this manner another question naturally arose to wit how the difficulty involved in his remaining at metlakatla could be met when the society was demanding changes there which he could not conscientiously endorse he therefore asked the conference if it would not advise the society to allow metlakatla to become an independent mission work out its own destiny and defray its own expenses without in any sense changing its sympathy with the society's missions or missionaries in other places 
the conference after due deliberation again in his absence by majority vote passed a resolution advising the society to constitute metlakahtla into a lay mission and to leave the work in mr duncan's hands without clerical supervision the minority consisted of mr tomlinson mr duncan's special friend and ardent supporter so that the resolution as passed really was supported by the bishop's friends in the conference and opposed by mr duncan's real supporter nevertheless it was by bishop ridley afterwards characterized as absurd and cowardly the minutes of the resolutions adopted by the conference were soon afterwards forwarded by the secretary mr collison to the society in england mr duncan and mr tomlinson have always been of the opinion that in some way the wording of the last resolution at the instigation of or by bishop ridley himself was changed before the transmittal of the minutes to the society and unfortunately there seems to be no question about the correctness of this supposition it may be surmised that the report of the doings of the conference was followed almost immediately by letters from the bishop to the society poisoning its mind against mr duncan and his position at metlakahtla that and that alone can explain the subsequent action of the society towards mr duncan the latter thought it only fair to wait a decent time before writing to the society a long letter detailing his position both with reference to the question of closer church connection at the mission and the administration of the sacraments especially that of the lord's supper giving his reasons for such position before the receipt however of this letter the society after receiving the minutes of the conference and the bishop's epistles wrote mr duncan a letter inviting him to come to london to confer with them on the future status of the mission at metlakahtla this letter dated september twenty ninth eighteen eighty one he received while in victoria where he had gone to purchase machinery for a salmon cannery which he had made all arrangements for starting in metlakahtla to time for the coming season this was a project which he had a long time had in mind as the only practical way of giving the indians any proportionate benefit from the visits of the piscatorial host to their ancient salmon streams by it he saw an opportunity to further aid the natives to an independent living he immediately answered the letter of the committee stating that under the circumstances it was at that particular time impossible for him to go to england as to do so would postpone for a year the instalment of this important industry but that if the committee after receiving the letter in which he had fully covered all matters with reference to the mission and which had crossed on the way the letter just received by him still deemed it desirable for him to come home for a conference he would cheerfully comply with its request as soon as the present pressing preparations with reference to the new cannery had been got out of the way as he bid his friends in victoria an affectionate farewell and started for his little home among the indians he little suspected what surprises awaited him on his arrival at metlakahtla end of chapter thirty